0: May I invite your attention to um, a book that I hope you brought with you, one that we consider to be inerrant, infallible, inspired, the very mind of God, as black words on a white page. I want you to follow as I read out of uh, Matthew chapter 25, I'll read the first 13 verses. But while, before I do and, before you, uh, and while you're finding that, I, I, I want to mention something I always mention at this time of year. Uh, I mention it twice a year, and this is <clears throat> with, the, with the beginning of the new year in a few hours. Um, I, I'm just challenging you to make a list of six people and pray for them for six months. It's kind of a program that flies under the radar screen. It's called six for six. Uh, you, you find you, family members or neighbors or friends, people, you know, that have not yet met the savior and, and, uh, make a list and pray for them for six months. That's all we're asking. We're not asking you to invite them to church or, uh, knock on their door. Just, just pray, just pray and see what God will do. And, and, uh, come July, we'll, We'll, I'll say it again, and we'll uh, change our list or keep the same list. It matters not. But just <clears throat> pray. Pray for people who have not yet met the Savior. And um, let's just see whether God will... Let's just see what he'll do. So it's called Six for Six. I invite you in. It's um, not something you have to sign up for. It's just, I'm going to do that. You know, this new year, I'm going to pray for six people that I know. Just a thought. Now follow with me as I read that which is um, the very—it's right out of the mouth of Jesus. I think you're going to find, ladies and gentlemen, that we, <clears throat> as we study these parables, that they're—they're they're a whole lot less tame than you thought they were. <laughs> they are, um, in often on often in frequent occasions, they're just scorching. They're—they're <laughs> they're biting. They're—they're they're hot. Uh, So I I think you're going to find that maybe not in this one, but I think you're going to find in in the parables that Jesus is far more pointed than you may have thought. So follow as I read this one. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and sleepy. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. The wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in, went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for, you know, neither the day nor the hour, the grass withers and the flower fades But the word of our God, it endures forever. Tomorrow, um, particularly tomorrow night, there'll be a whole lot of focus on the coming or the arrival of midnight. And so I thought it, um, oh, appropriate, fitting for us to take a look at another midnight. One that's uh, mentioned here in the parable in verse 6. I've called it God's Midnight. There's another midnight besides tomorrow night, I promise you, and it's this one, and we're going to take a look at it this morning. Let me start uh, with just a couple of of introductory comments, which hopefully will help us appreciate and enjoy the parable all the more, but first of all, this is a parable, obviously, that is based on a marriage ceremony, on a wedding, um, which is an event that is often used in the New Testament. It's often used to illustrate the, the, uh, the truths and the insights associated with relationships. Now, <clears throat> we, we know quite a bit about ancient Mid-Eastern weddings. There's some disagreement as to some of the details of, the, of, of those weddings. But um, by and large, we know a, a good deal about how these weddings were conducted. Uh, first of all, we know that they were always held at night. <clears throat> but um, the sequence of all that happened is pretty much agreed upon as to um, what happened once the, the wedding began. And it, and it went something like this: <clears throat> The groom <clears throat> excuse me the groom, accompanied by his friends, would leave his home and head toward the wife of his fiance, of his intended bride. He would arrive at the bride's home and she would come out uh, attended by her childhood friends or her bridesmaids or her attendants in this parable. They're called the virgins. They would leave there together with all of this pomp and circumstance and would make their way towards her new home. Or the home of the groom. Um, So what you end up with in terms of this parable is the groom coming to get his bride to take her to her future home. That's the storyline of this parable, ladies and gentlemen. But in all actuality, it's the storyline of the entire New Testament. The groom comes to get his bride and takes her to her future home. It's this storyline in the gospel as well, ladies and gentlemen. A groom that comes for a bride to take her to his, to her future home. Would point this out too, um, which I think is an interesting consideration. In the parable, the bride is never mentioned. Um, That's not to say that she's unimportant. She is important. But in this parable, she's never mentioned. And and the reason, I think, is because the focus of this parable is entirely on the groom and specifically his coming. That's what this is about. It's about the groom who, for whatever his reasons, are delayed, but eventually is going to come. Now, with all that in mind... Let's um, let's take a look at this parable under three headings. And very simply, we're going to look at it under the virgins, the groom, and the exclusion. That's our that's our three headings this morning: the virgins, the groom, and the exclusion. <coughs> now, gang, interpretively, everything is riding on how you define the virgins and 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 this business of. Uh, having or not having a reserve supply of oil. Everything that you understand about this parable is riding on how you see that. Now, I, I think it's, it's fairly safe to say or to answer who the virgins are, but uh, I, I'm, I'm very confident because of a, a, a statement made in verse 13, which is really the, the lesson behind the parable. Jesus says, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. That that sets us in a direction, in a path. And most of the commentarians agree um, that that's the thing that will tell you who he's talking to when he he mentions the virgins. So as in agreement with most of them, I would suggest to you that the virgins of this parable is a simile. It's a... um, it's a, it's a figure of speech, it's a word picture, and it's there to, to illustrate and depict the visible church. Now gang, don't miss that word visible church. The visible church is called the visible church because it's visible. We call it a visible church because it's visible. In in theological circles, there's a distinction made between the visible church and the invisible church. The invisible church is comprised of believers past, present, and future. The visible church is the one that you can see, like, like this one. And the two over here on Houston Levee, and the and the one at the corner of Johnson, and the one over here on Walnut Grove, and 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 the one out there in Cordova, that's the visible church. And the Virgins is a depiction of the visible church. But we're told in this parable that inside that visible church. There are, it is comprised of some virgins, some of whom are wise. Others of whom are foolish. Again, don't let this 5-5 split uh, stump you. It's not as if it's saying that there's 50% wise and 50% foolish. It's just pointing out that within the visible church... There are some wise and there are some foolish. Now, guys, you understand what that means? That means that in this room, at this moment, right now, there are some who were wise. But there's others of you who were foolish. Foolish. Now, what does the parable tell us about the foolish? Well, it tells us, first of all, that they had some oil, but they didn't have enough. They they had a faith, but it was not a saving faith because it ran out. Now, gang, <clears throat> you if you've never heard of this, I, I don't know of a... Of a a Protestant denomination that doesn't believe in this doctrine. It's called the, the, the perseverance of the saints. Jesus mentions it in chapter 24 of Matthew in verse 13. He says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's the perseverance of the saints. Saints will persevere to the, to the end. Uh, If I could illustrate, if I were to stand up here this morning and I were to say to you, I am a follower of Jesus, I love Jesus, I, 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 I am committed to Jesus, but tomorrow I come back and I say, I don't believe any of that anymore. That was a bunch of bunk. What that means is that I really wasn't real today. Because saints persevere to the end. Well, here in this parable, you have some virgins... Who had some oil, but it wasn't enough, and it ran out. It was it was a faith that did not survive the delay, or it did not survive the the hardships of the delay, or the or it did not survive the persecutions of the delay. However, you want to say it. But one of the things, ladies and gentlemen, that you cannot miss, whatever the reason, whatever the the, the circumstance, what we're being told here is that when the groom arrives, the foolish versions are not in possession of that which would enable them to enter. They don't have that. Early on, you know, they look just like the other virgins. But over time, and and specifically with the coming of the groom, they um, they're left out. They're shut out. They they have some marks of the wise. I mean, they they started well. They. Um, they're, they're not openly godless. But, um, guys, what you must not miss, the thing that is glaringly obvious about this parable is that the virgins who were known as the foolish, they do not make it in. That means, ladies and gentlemen, that in this room, at this moment, some of you will not make it in. You know, 300 years ago or so, there was an evangelist that Kind of, um, he was a, he was British, but he spent a lot of time on on our shores. His name was George Whitfield. George Whitfield was a great preacher, and he was a good friend of John Wesley's. And um, one of the sermons that he preached was um, quite famous. It, 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 they turned it into a track, a track that I used to have. And I, I, I as I was preparing this, I looked for it and couldn't find it. No, no telling what happens in my office, but I couldn't find it. But uh, the track or the title of the sermon was entitled. The Almost Christian. It's a sermon that's based on a text out of uh, Acts chapter 26, verse 28, where Paul is preaching his little heart out to Herod Agrippa, the the king of the Jews. He's just preaching his little heart out, and in the middle of his sermon, Agrippa says, oh, Paul, stop, stop, stop this. And then he says, in good King James language, he says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost, Paul. Thou persuadest me. Paul's not the only one that uses language like that. Jesus uses language like that. In Mark chapter 12, you may remember, uh, the scribe comes to Jesus and says, what's the foremost commandment of all? And Jesus says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might, and your neighbor as yourself. And the scribe says, yes, that's right, Jesus. You got that right. And Jesus says to him, you're not far. You're not in, but you're not far. You're not far from the kingdom. Guys, according to this parable, people like that are found in the visible. Now, what about the wise? What does the parable tell us about the wise? Well, first of all, it says that they recognize the possibility of delay. And because they do, they they realize that some preparation has to be made. They, um, they, They recognize that this just very well may be a long wait, a long life ahead of them. And so that life is going to require a preparation. It's going to require some patience. It very well may include some self-denial and endurance. Um, All of that's going to be required while we wait on the groom to get here. It's not a few initial warm feelings that, that will enable me to endure until he gets here. Those, those initial feelings, they, they've got to be revived, they've got to be strengthened, they've got to be purified, and, and, and they will be strengthened by a continual supply of oil. And as many of you know, oil is, a, is another figure of speech, it's a simile. You know what a simile is, ladies and gentlemen, you know what a metaphor, and a, a simile is just a short one, it's a figure of speech. Uh, oil is often used as a simile for the Holy Spirit. In the end, however, the wise, they are let in. Wisdom lives in the consciousness that the groom is coming. So while they wait, they recognize that That there are some expectations, uh, responsibility, and preparedness, and and duty, perhaps, and, and accountability. All words which are hated by the foolish. The difference is, we're told in the end of the parable, is that the wise go in. The foolish are shut out. The groom. The grooms are my second point. <clears throat> um, shouldn't be any surprise to any of you. It's, uh, let me remove any suspense you might, might have. This is, a, this is a portrayal. It's a depiction of the Lord Jesus. He's the groom. Now, gang, in our, our determination to interpret this correctly, uh, I, I don't want you to miss this much about the parable. The union between the the, the groom and his bride, the groom and his people, is likened here to a marriage. I've said this on numerous occasions. I said it Friday night in a wedding. But the the New Testament is full of of metaphors that that are designed to describe the relationship that God has with his people. For instance... There is the metaphor of a king. Is God my king? God is a king. Indeed he is. Which that means that I am his subject, that he has laws that I am expected to obey. He's the king. The, the, the Bible says that he is my father. Um, and, and and indeed he is my father. That means that, that I am his son. I have legal access. I, I just recently saw the movie uh, Lincoln and... Uh, in the midst of all the civil war and this battle for the 13th Amendment, um, uh, the one person that could get into his office without even knocking was his son. Because he, that was, this was not the president to him, it was his father. He is the son with legal and rightful access. Then, then the New Testament says that, that the Lord Jesus is my shepherd. You know what that means about us? It means that we're sheep. And, and as a sheep, I, I, I require constant, uh, detailed care. I'm a sheep. I'm wayward. I'm willful. I'm, I'm, I'm dirty. I'm, and I, I need somebody to care for me. And I have a shepherd that does that. But in this metaphor, ladies and gentlemen, we're being told that Jesus Christ is the groom. You know what that makes us? That makes us the bride. And all that that means, all the richness of what that means, it means, it means intimacy. It means security. It, it means union or oneness. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a love story a New Testament love story. And and this love story outdoes anything that you've ever read on the pages of some wild romance novel that you took to Destin with you. Jesus is depicted here as our divine lover. It's it's a romance. And and if romance is the thing that titillates you, ladies and gentlemen, then, then try this on. This lover found his bride deep in debt. And so he paid the whole debt. This lover, to become her lover, had to disguise himself in humanity. It all started as a as he was cradled in a, ma- a manger and, and, and it ended when he was murdered on a cross. He found out further that the bride that he came for was often unfaithful to him. And yet, in the midst of her unfaithfulness, he remained faithful. He also discovered that his bride was clothed in filthy rags. And so he exchanged those rags. And he gave her something that was clean and spotless and new and white. My friends, it's that groom that is coming for his bride. When? I don't know. And neither does anybody else. But, um, though though I I said this earlier, though the bride is not mentioned in this parable, you do know, don't you, who the bride is? I would love to say to you, that the bride is this. But this parable makes very clear that within this there are some wise and there are some foolish. And the foolish will never make it in. All of which begs the question, okay, then Jimmy, what do the wise look like? I mean, what characteristics differentiate the wise from the foolish? Well, once again, the parable helps us answer that question. The wise are the ones... They're the ones who realize that the soul must be maintained. That it, that it must be fed. It must be nurtured. To the wise, soulish health is very, very important. They make it a priority. They realize that nobody is ever going to get away with neglecting their souls. So <clears throat> they, they, the wise place a high value on, on soulish health they, they place a high value on on fresh supplies of grace and and, and because they, they want more and more they stay very close to the supplier the, 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 the wise. they refuse to allow things no, no matter how important those things may seem to you they, re, they, re, they refuse to allow things to crowd out the importance of maintaining their souls. And so they make sacrifices. They make sacrifices so that their souls can flourish. Is that you? If it isn't, the Bible calls you a fool. My third point is the exclusion. On the day that the groom arrives, two things will happen. The first thing that will happen is an exposure will occur, that is, up to the point of his arrival. All the virgins appeared equal. They all looked alike. But on the day that, that he arrives, the truth will be known. The, the wise will be known to be the wise, and the foolish will be known to be the foolish. And when everybody knows who's who, the, um, the wise will be brought into the wedding feast. The second thing that will happen is that the door will be shut, a lasting, permanent exclusion of people. Were a part of the visible church. What door is this, Jimmy? What door? What door is shut? Well, it's the door that leads to the wedding feast. And if you've known anything about your Bibles, you know that the wedding feast is another one of those. it's a it's a word picture it's a it's a it's found often in the book of revelation it's found in matthew 22 it's a it's a it's a <clears throat> it's a figure of speech for for heaven it's the door that leads into heaven it's the door it's the door that right now is open But it's the door that one day it will be shut. But my friend, listen to me. No matter what you have done, I don't care what you've done. I don't care that you wrongfully left your spouse. I wish you hadn't have. That's bad. I don't care what kind of crime that you've committed. I want you to know that the door is still open to you. Don't let Satan tell you that because of the enormity of your sin, it's too big for you to ever get in. Ladies and gentlemen, the enormity of our sin is not the thing that should drive us away from this Savior. It's the thing that should drive us to Him. There's still time, ladies and gentlemen, to get oil. But there's only one place to get it. That door is shut by whom? Well, this parable doesn't tell us, but there are several places in the Bible that does. Several places that do tell us. There's one in Genesis 6, you remember the story of Noah and his ark? He has all the animals on, but the rain has begun and they have a problem. There's a big open door in the ark and God comes and shuts it. But Jesus uses this language as well. He uses it in Luke chapter 13. He says this, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Listen to this. Do you know that Jesus speaks like this, ladies and gentlemen? He speaks like this. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door. And you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door. (coughs) Saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. It's very similar to language in our parable when he says, I don't know you. Guys, the one who shuts the door is the one who has the oil. And you don't need money to buy it, it's all free. Grace is free, ladies and gentlemen. And you will try to buy it with your good works in vain. For grace can only be gotten freely. God distributes it freely. But now, while the door is open, today, while that door is open, step inside, ladies and gentlemen. Step inside. I close with this. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The door, ladies and gentlemen. The door is Christ. And it's still open. Step inside before it shuts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you have um, made provision for people as wicked as I am. That you have found a way to save people who don't deserve it. Who have nothing to offer but their demerit. And yet you freely offer forgiveness and reconciliation through Christ and his finished work. And so, Father, all of this foolishness of, of seeing how much money we can make and see how much activity we can schedule and <clears throat> seeing how many activities can detract us from soul maintenance, would you forgive us? Would you cause us to see the great necessity of care for our souls. Father, if you brought people here this morning who have not yet met our Savior, would you cause them to see the great beauty of the Lord Jesus? Do that, O Father, for Jesus' sake. In whose name we pray, amen.